Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As listeners of our show know, each and every week I have an opportunity to unpack the parashah, the weekly reading, with a guest uh, of mine as we try to understand the intentionality, both literally and uh, homiletically, of the Torah portion. This week, the Torah portion is entitled Amor, which usually is translated as speak. It begins in Leviticus 21 and continues through the end of Leviticus 24. The Torah portion uh, begins with special laws pertaining to the Kohanim, the priesthood, and the Kohen Hagadol, the high priest, and of course the temple service that they officiate at. A Kohen may not become ritually impure, we're told, through contact with a dead body, save on the occasion of a death of a close relative. A Kohen may not marry a divorcee or a woman with a questionable past. A Kohen Gadol can only marry a Betula, a virgin. A Kohen with a physical deformity cannot serve in the Holy Temple, nor can a deformed or uh, unpure animal be brought as an offering. A newborn calf, a lamb, or a kid may be, must be left with its mother for seven days before being eligible for an offering. One may not slaughter an animal and its offspring on the same day. Having introduced these uh, laws regarding the temple sacrificial cult and the Kohen Gadol, the Torah portion shifts gears, and it reminds us of the festivals of the Jewish calendar. It speaks of the weekly Shabbat, the bringing of the Passover offering on the 14th day of Nisan, the first month of the Hebrew calendar, the seven-day Passover festival, which begins on the 15th day of Nisan, the bringing of the Omer offering from the first barley harvest on the second day of Passover, and the commencement on that day of the 49-day counting of the Omer, culminating in the festival of Shavuot on the 50th day. A remembrance of shofar blowing on the first day of Tishrei, which we now call Rosh Hashanah, the spiritual Jewish New Year. A solemn fast day on the 10th of Tishrei, which is known in the vernacular as Yom HaKippurim. The Sukkot festival during which we are to dwell in huts for seven days and take the four kinds of species beginning on the 15th day of Tishrei and immediately following the holiday of the eighth day of Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret. This constitutes a significant part of the parasha, but the parasha concludes by returning to the temple sacrificial cult and tells us that we should light the menorah in the temple and tells us of the showbread, lechem hapanim, placed weekly on the table there. And more concludes with a totally different 
Conversation with the incident of a man executed for blasphemy and the penalties for murder and for injuring one's fellow or destroying property. As you can tell, whether you've been following in the text or not, this is a parasha that takes us on a wild ride of Torah law and Torah understanding of Jewish life. With me this morning to unpack some of the essential aspects of our parasha is Rabbi Elise Goldstein, who is the spiritual leader of City Shul in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Rabbi Goldstein is known throughout Canada as an outstanding educator. She founded Kolel, the Adult Center for Liberal Jewish Learning in 1991 and was its director and principal teacher for 20 years. Kolel was recognized worldwide as a leading institution in the field of Jewish education. And in 2005, she was awarded North America's highest honor for Jewish education, the Covenant Award for Outstanding Educators. She has a rich experience in the Congregational Rabbinate, while in rabbinical school, she served at Temple Beth Or of the Death, where she became proficient in sign language and specialized in serving the Jewish death. Following ordination, she was assistant rabbi at Holy Blossom Temple in Toronto. From 1986 to 1991, she served as rabbi of Temple Beth David in Canton, Massachusetts. In addition, she has wide experience in social justice uh, organizations and pursuing equal rights for women and a greater understanding of the role of women in modern Jewish tradition. And when she has additional time, which is not very often, she serves on the board of Access Education, helping to build schools in rural communities in Guatemala, where she is also serving as a volunteer rabbi to a small group of Jews by choice in Guatemala City, known as Adat Yisrael. Rabbi Goldstein, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you, Rabbi Garden. That was a long introduction. My mother would be proud. <laughs> Well, your mother was always proud of you. Um, we are going to skip, I think, some of the early sections of this week's Torah portion regarding the sacrificial cult and the Kohen, um, unless time allows us to, and delve into that aspect of the Torah portion, which is most uh, impactful on the life of Jewish people today. And that is beginning in chapter 23 with a discussion of the festivals. Um, it begins with, and I'll read it for our listeners, and if our listeners are following in a copy of the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, I'm going to begin reading in chapter 23 of Leviticus, the Yedaber Adonai Moshe Lemur. And God spoke unto Moses, speaking, Daber el b'nei Yisrael v'amartalehem mo'adei Adonai asher tikra'u otam mikra'e kodesh ele hem me'odei. 
Speak unto the children and say to them, These are the appointed seasons of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to the holy convocations. Even these are my appointed seasons. As I indicated, we have a retelling. It's not the first telling, but a retelling of all of these uh, occasions of festivals. And so let's begin with the essential question. Why is the Torah so concerned with these festivals? What do they truly represent with regard to the relationship between the people of Israel, the children of Jacob, and their understanding of the deity? Um, I think we uh, have to go back to the understanding that we were slaves, And slaves do not control their own time. And for the Torah, I think the greatest symbol of true freedom was the ability to control your own time. And I'm going to go further and say the ability to sanctify your own time. In other words, when you're a slave, you can't stop and say, this is Shabbos, it's Shabbat, it's really important to me. You can't say, this is my birthday, I don't want to work today. Today's the anniversary of my wedding. Though there is no meaningful time when you're a slave. All time is the same. One day flows into the next. It's all work. And so, and by the way, if we look at the history of American slavery, you'll find that one of the ways that slaves were most oppressed on the plantations, for example, in, in the United States and anywhere else where slavery existed, was, the, was the, uh, what they tried to do in secret, you know, to celebrate birthdays, to, to, do, to have weddings, to, to have the Sabbath. And uh, that was seen to be um, a sort of a, 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 a in the face of their masters, right? A free person says, today is different than yesterday. And the Torah wants us to really differentiate one day from the next. So it says, you're going to have the Sabbath. And then it says, you're going to have the new moon. And that's monthly. You're going to have the Sabbath weekly. You're going to have the new moon monthly. You're going to have... Uh, different times of the year that you celebrate different things. Uh, And you're going to take notice of the change of the seasons and take notice of the change of time because only free people can do that. And that's, now we have done the opposite. See, we've become slaves to time. So instead of... I mean, when you say we, I don't think you're suggesting just the Jewish people. I think you're suggesting all people. I think, have, yeah, have in fact, in their uh, ability to be free, have become uh, slaves to uh, work and have become slave to the uh, electronic uh, uh, equipment and technology that we carry with us always. Um, and that um, we even are told how much screen time uh, we use each week. Um, And so we have chosen to cede that ability to be free. Um, So so in a way, what the Torah was commanding us to pay attention to the passage of time and to pay attention to making one day different from the next. And in in making one day different from the next, as you indicated, uh, one day every week. Um, at least one day every month um, in terms of acknowledging the new moon. Yeah. 
um, with a special Torah reading, uh, and in the temple sacrificial cult, a special sacrifice. Yeah. And all of the Jewish festivals fall on either the first day of the month or the 15th day of the month to yeah. mark uh, how one would count uh, the 28, 29, 30 days of the Hebrew month. Um, so having allowed us or having commanded us to do this counting, how does the Torah speak? You use the word sanctified. So how do you mean that? What does it mean to sanctify time? So it's so amazing because the, the verse says something so um challenging for us in the modern world, right? That verse 23, chapter, uh, verse 2 says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Moadei Adonai asher tikru otam mikra'e kodesh, elahim moadai. God says to the Jewish people, I want these holidays for myself. Elahim moadai, you are going to celebrate them for me. Now, in today's parlance, whether you believe in God or not, what does that mean? That means that we, we take time and we say, we're going to offer this to the universe. We are going to make this day special as a gift to something bigger than ourselves, the world, our family, the universe, spirituality, God, call it what you want, right? These are my festivals. In other words, I command you to stop, look, and listen not only because it's good for you, but because it's good for me, meaning it's good for the world. And I love that first verse because it doesn't say, these are the festivals that you should have fun on. These are the festivals for you to have parties on. These are the festivals that'll make your life more interesting and enriching and rewarding. It says, these are the festivals for God, which means that these are the times that we stop our busy life, our daily life, our banal life, and we say, this day, this time, this hour, I don't care what it is, is going to be elevated. That's what I mean by sanctify. Going to be elevated in one way or another. Elohim Moadai. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer it. Now, whether you, you believe in God or not, you, you could say, I'm going to offer it to the world. I'm going to offer it to my family. I'm going to offer it to... But it's, it's, really about, it's really about elevating our time. So, in a sense, God offers us the possibility of sanctifying our life through sanctifying time and acknowledging that time is not uh, solely ours. Correct. If I hear you correctly, that time, as with most of creation, is a gift to us. That's exactly how I would say it. It's the only gift we can't give back, right? There's no reruns in life. We get one chance, one chance only, okay? One 15th birthday, one 50th birthday, one 65th birthday, if we, if we live that long, right? There's no reruns. I can't do it again. So it's a gift that I must um, open and use now. I can't save it for the future, and I can't give it back. So you can't save it up, but you could choose to ignore it. And you do so, in a sense, at the peril uh, of yourself, of not 
uh, elevating or sanctifying your own life. Well, you do it at the peril of at the end of your life looking back and saying, what a big, boring ride it was. Like every one day was the same as the next. Now, in the secular world, we already know how to do this. We have birthday parties. We have anniversary parties, right? We have weddings. We have, but, but the Sabbath and festivals, you know, I, I, I have to tell you, I really watch how people overdo decorating for Halloween and now Valentine's Day and in America, Thanksgiving, like it's, you'd think that turkeys were like a deity, okay? So we do this when we don't have enough daily and weekly ritual in our lives. We ritualize the few things we get during the year, right? So Halloween becomes a big ritual. Thanksgiving becomes a big ritual. I have a ritual every single Friday night. And it's predictable, and it's and it's and it's elevated, and, it, and it's meaningful, and it has symbols. So, if we use Halloween or Thanksgiving, which are filled with secular symbolism uh, in terms of the pumpkin or the turkey um, or the carving or trick or treat, um, Jewish festivals also have symbols. Yeah recognizing that the symbols are part of how we transform time. It's not simply a cognitive uh, transformation, but the symbols allow us to spiritually transform time. Yeah. I mean, um, some people are able to do this, like people who meditate, for example. People who meditate take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day and do nothing. They just clear their mind and they become more mindful. I don't know how people manage the busy lives that we have without, like for me, without having Friday night. I don't know what I would do. Friday night, a sacred time, no TV, no phones, no work, no family time, quiet time. I, I just, you know, I, I want to tell you that there's a, there's a saying for this, and I, I, and I find it very, very um, profound. So author, author Scott Burkun coined a term, the cult of busy. And I think pre-COVID, maybe, maybe COVID took us out of that cult a little bit, but pre-COVID, we joined the cult of busy. If you ask any human being, how are you doing? What's the first word? You, what's the first answer you get? Busy. I'm so busy. So busy. I'm fine, but boy, am I busy. Okay. No one ever says, I'm fine and I'm just taking it easy. <laughs> <laughs> so this cult of busy is has all the makings of a real cult, right? We 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 get big into it, and everybody else is also into it, and it has leaders and preachers. And, well, and I guess we measure our life by the level of busyness. Okay, so it's becomes. And we say when you say um, you know during COVID, so many people say I'm not really busy. Um, I was working at home, but I had free time, which could be translated in many ways as I had many opportunities to do different things. Right. Even if I couldn't gather with people, I could use the Internet to learn a new skill or to just learn. But, we got, but we got afraid of that because the cult of busy so so controls our mind. Right. That we we got afraid of unbusy time. Yeah. So I realized it was very lonely and very isolated. And I mean, no, no devaluation of that. But f for not being busy, we didn't know what to do with ourselves. 
because we were no longer in the cult of busy and the cult of busy's leaders didn't know what to do with us. We had alone time for the first time in, in, in many of our lives. We are addicted. It's a dopamine, right? This busyness. And by the way, it's a competitive sport. You say to me, I say, how are you doing? You say, boy, am I busy? I say, you think you're busy? You should hear how busy I am. Okay. It's a competitive sport. Who's busier, right? And so I think COVID in a, in a way uh, brought us to Parshat Emor. <laughs> it, it made us stop and say, do you have any sacred time? You know, the thing that, that saved a lot of people during COVID in my congregation, at least, was, you know, we went on Zoom and we had regular Shabbat services and people came and people would say to me, Rabbi, it makes one day different from the next. All of a sudden, coming to synagogue on Saturday made Saturday different than Thursday, different than Wednesday, different than Tuesday, where every day was bleeding into every other day. Well, uh, it made, yeah. well, I guess what you're saying is <laughs> that it gave people the opportunity when life had a sameness to it to choose something that was different. Yeah. And that people um, forced by the mandates and by the concern of COVID and the spread of COVID were housebound, regardless of age and economic circumstances. They had an opportunity to join your congregation or other congregations and experience what it meant to take an hour or 90 minutes of time and focus on something very different. Um, Do you think people will, uh, we don't know for sure, but as we emerge from COVID, do you have any sense of whether people will continue that as they return to previous patterns of behavior? To the cult of busy, which is drawing us back? Um, I think that we um, have learned how slowly time can creep over COVID. And I think it scared us. And I think we want to uh, fill our time more with meaningful activities. And I do. I think that people will be forever changed by that. Um, it's going to take a, us a long time to get back to a, to the Parshat Emor goal, which is to notice time, to stop, to to reflect, to... Um, to elevate your day, elevate your week, elevate your month. I, I think it'll take us a long time to get back to that. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow, but I, I, I feel very inspired by Parshat Emor. I feel inspired by this word, these words. These are festivals for a higher purpose. And then the whole list of festivals, and every one of them, by the way, gives us a different opportunity. You know, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur give us an opportunity to self-reflect. Passover gives us an opportunity to for social action, for reflecting outwards. How can I make the world a better place? How can I make sure everyone is free? You know, until until everyone is free, no one is free. The um, commandment in the Torah portion seems to suggest that as individuals, we do this amongst the collective. Uh, God speaks to the children of Israel. So it's both the uh, plural and, as you've spoken about, the singular Um, I'm wondering if as we emerge from COVID, where so much has been personalized and singular, Mm -hmm. whether there will be an impact on people choosing to be more personal about this uh, time. 
mm-hmm. and about this mindfulness of time and whether we'll see uh, some sort of reaction to corporate observance. Um, and of course, none of us have any uh, experience with this. Right. Right. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts as we move forward. I think the other thing that COVID taught us is you use the word corporate, you know, but we can use the word community. I think the other thing that COVID taught us is the the absolute uh, centrality of of the experience of being one in many, right? That we, you know, for the we really we really ritualized our society during COVID in a way that was very meaningful. For example. I don't know about Ottawa, but here in Toronto, we went out every night at six o'clock and banged pots, you know, for healthcare workers. I'm talking about back in March of 2020. Sure. In the beginning of COVID, when we um, were experiencing it for the first time here, too, perhaps listeners did it in their communities. uh, But on our street where there were many civil servants and many frontline workers, um, the people were out on the street banging their pots or so banging we, their drums. Yeah, so I, I say we ritualized our time. Like in in my neighborhood, six o'clock every night was like holy was the sacred time. It was a, a Parshat Emor experience. You did it. You went out on your porch and you did that, right? So even if it only lasted two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, it doesn't sure. matter. Um, we learned how to how to sanctify our time in this timeless dripping kind of Moliani, you know, picture with a dripping, um, dripping clock. Like, and I think we loved seeing each other on each other's porches, not only because we were lonely, but because we recognized at that moment, the, um, the, the value of what you call the corporate experience or, or the communal experience, right? We all of a sudden realized we all need to ritual something together, what I found most interesting on, in our neighborhood is COVID allowed for the expansion of um, dog ownership. Mm. And dog ownership allowed for a shared experience amongst people who really were quite divided by many things. They were divided by work. They were divided yeah. by religion. They were divided by age. Um, and dog ownership brought people together in very many ways that hadn't existed in the past. And one would hope that that's a reflection of what Amor was speaking about in terms of trying to prioritize what's really important in your life. Yeah. And we've spoken this morning about time and the importance of time and acknowledgement of time and how we are simply small cogs in right. the universe, which I think is another thing that uh, Amor speaks to that we exist in this large universe of seasons and the week, but as individuals, we're only a small aspect of that. Yeah. You know, we don't control the universe or time. See, that's the cult of busy tries to um, convince us that we control our own time. And as I said at the beginning of this program, free people are the only people who can control their own time. But at the end of the day, and I mean that as a pun, right? At the end of the day, time controls us. We, we just live within it, right? We're like fish trying to find the water. 
we, we live in time, but also trying to notice it. Yeah. So the only way that we can see the water we live in as fish, the only way we can point to the time that's passing while we're passing it is to ritualize it, is to sanctify it, is to elevate it. And so well, that, that's what we're, that's what Emor is trying to get us to do. Having learned about time, time has flown by. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Elise Goldstein of City Shul, Toronto, for helping us unpack this wonderful parasha. You can hear a recording of our show on chri.ca website or on iTunes as a podcast. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, wishing you a good day and shalom. <laughs>